we're all one drop. And if we can work together, I think we come up with a really cool pool of things. But if we all just think that our one drop is the best, then we're nowhere. Hello, and welcome to TG2 Chat Live, the podcast home of Teachers Going Gradeless. I'm Lisa Wenerth, team member at Teachers Going Gradeless. And in today's episode, we're engaging in a critical dialogue with ungrading educators Liz Leininger, Faraz Musvi, Rita Shaw, and Taylor Vivanco. This conversation was recorded during one of our monthly Sunday community gatherings, which, if you have not yet attended, we would love to have you join in the future. Our next gathering will be held in early 2023, so be sure to look out for some information on social media and on our website for our next event. They're lively and fun and always centered around the practice of ungrading and grading less. I also want to take a moment to thank our Patreon members for their continued support. We simply could not do this without you, so thank you, thank you. We hope this special episode about the many ways to practice ungrading leaves you feeling supported and uplifted to continue doing the good work in education. still trickling in, um, but we're going to get started and um, kind of get moving along with, with today's gathering. So thanks to all of you um, for coming to this month's special community gathering. I am Lisa Wenerth, and I'm a team member here at Teachers Going Gradeless. Um, as many of you know, Teachers Going Gradeless is a group of educators who are convinced that teaching and learning are better when we grade less. I want to open today's gathering with these beautiful final lines from the article. Um, that we'll be discussing today. Like Susan D. Bloom, we invite you to gather under the ungrading umbrella. Come on in, there's room. The umbrella, which is after all, only metaphoric, can grow infinitely large, or maybe the rains will clear and we'll just emerge and scatter under sunny skies. So here's to more sunny skies. Under those words, I want to welcome all of you here for an exciting dialogue with a panel of four thoughtful and inspiring educators. Um, We will be listening to our panel guests discuss their response to a Times Higher Education article that was published in late October around ungrading and its claim that most educators engaging in ungrading practices are merely jumping on the bandwagon and doing it wrong. Our four panel guests, along with Beth Haas and Heather Michelli and myself, responded to this claim with a new article titled, Why There Isn't One Way to Practice Ungrading. As the title implies, our article recognizes that there are multiple ways to engage in ungrading praxis. The article, quote, aims to reflect the principles and philosophies of the ungrading community, which embraces the diverse methods and approaches scholars have been utilizing for decades, if not centuries, unquote. We at TG2 began these community gatherings earlier this year in order to provide a space for dialogue among those who are engaging in the practice of going gradeless or ungrading. Our panel members add to that vision as they also espouse the need for constant dialogue and conversation in order to, and I'm quoting from the article here, challenge old traditional systems that no longer serve learners, unquote, 
And it is through this dialogue that we aim to, quote, seek new and better ways to serve institutions and the people in them by working toward real systemic transformation, unquote. So it is from this communal and open space that we welcome all of you here to continue the conversation around the many ways to practice ungrading. Our first panel guest, Liz Leininger, is an associate professor of neurobiology at New College of Florida, Florida's public liberal arts honors college that uses narrative evaluations instead of letter grades. A neurobiologist by training, she teaches broadly across the biology and neuroscience curriculum and mentors students in research. She is also currently the director of New College's Set Sail First Year Seminar Program. Faraz Musvi is a lecturer in the Computer Science, Mathematics, Physics, and Statistics Department at the University of British Columbia, Okanagan. Though he has a PhD in physics from UBC Vancouver, he also teaches computer science and data science at the undergraduate and graduate levels. He strongly believes in computational literacy for all and aims to make STEM courses accessible through active learning techniques and open education resources. His research interests are varied, but the two main umbrellas are the scholarship of teaching and learning and learning analytics. Faraz is looking at how learning analytics and data can provide insight to surface and ultimately reduce inequities in STEM programs. He's also heavily invested in promoting and implementing alternative grading systems in larger classes at scale. Rita Shah is a cultural criminologist who combines textual analysis with qualitative and visual methods to understand the ways in which correctional systems are socially and legally constructed. Her work has been published in the British Journal of Criminology and Contemporary Justice Review and is supported by NEH and NSF grants. Her most recent book, The Meaning of Rehabilitation and Its Impact on Parole, There and Back Again in California, queries the concept of rehabilitation to determine how, on a legislative and policy level, the term is defined as a goal of correctional systems. She received her BA in communications, legal institutions, economics, and government from American University, her MA in social ecology, and her PhD in criminology, law, and society from the University of California, Irvine. In her free time, she can be found on photographic expeditions, reading for fun, or watching American football and soccer. Taylor Vivanco wants those new to the profession to see that they can do ungrading too. As a student teacher, he implemented ungrading practices as part of a research inquiry project to his teacher education program. Now, as a first-year teacher, he continues to evolve his ungrading practices while also involving his students more in developing his pedagogy. All right, from these exceptional bios, we're going to move ahead to the interview portion of today's gathering. Our opening question centers around that first October article um, about ungrading. So looking back on that first article, um, which feels like years ago at this point, what, and we'll start with Faraz um, and Taylor on this one, were you most disappointed by? Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity and thanks for gathering this, uh, having this little community gathering. I think it's great that we we talk about these things. Um, to answer the question about what was most disappointing for me, uh, I picked out three things that are very related. Uh, the first is that there was just a lack of awareness of context, where people were, how many students they were teaching, what type of resources they had, what the cultural climate was around doing some of this stuff, what their contingent faculty status was, whether they were permanent or, 
or, or you know, uh, temporary or adjunct. Uh, and so that, that lack of awareness really rubbed me the wrong way uh, when I first read it. Um, and then the, the second is that it just discouraged new people from doing it because of the fear of doing it wrong, right? Not about making doing something uh, just to start off with and getting some feedback and improving and learning, which is the whole ethos of ungrading itself. Uh, but just like being scared to try things unless they were all in in this pure form, right? Uh, and, and that that sort of like gatekeeping is is something that was frustrating to me to read. Uh, I guess I'm not super new. It's been two or, two or three years, but compared to others who've been doing this for decades, I, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm fairly new. And it just made me like, am I, should I even continue? Like, should I do something else? I mean, this is not something that felt, felt very welcoming to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the most uh, thing that disappointed me the most was that it, it made it seem like it was a personal failure on teachers mm-hmm. that they weren't able to do this correctly. Not that the system, the system itself or the structures in place, uh, the inertia of all of that made us make us continue to do things in the way we're doing it just because yeah. of scale or other constraints. But it, it felt like it was a personal failure on teachers, which I don't think any attempt to improve is a failure of personal teachers. It's a failure of the system we're in. Uh, the structures that we have built for for centuries that have caused us to be at this at this place where we can do things <laughs> um, in a way that 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 doesn't support learning and isn't centered on students to begin with. So those are my three things that I felt were most disappointing. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, and I think some of that the that the heavy criticism there um, already teachers are under so much of that. Um, And so the harm that causes, I think um, certainly was palpable by many educators. Um, Thanks. Taylor, how do you feel? Yes. I just want to echo all of that. um, Of course. And uh, for me, I am, I do consider myself new to this because I, I, I've been doing on green now for about a year, I would say. Um, Of course, changing my practices over time. Um, but I'm also a first year teacher. So I've kind of been doing this like the whole time I've been teaching. So I think it, it, it also gives me kind of a unique perspective on this as well. Um, but uh, I think some of the things that were kind of upsetting about this article is, is that a lot of the ideas in this article were like, I don't want to say they were right, but like, I'll just say a lot of what he did right was like, yeah, let's do this, right? He's like, let's turn education on its head. You know, let's transform the learning process. Let's position the student as an authority in the classroom. You know, let's acknowledge these like multiple paths that students need to take in order to learn, you know, like not everyone has the same end goal and not everyone needs to have the same end goal, you know? And this is something that like us in the ungrading community, we're talking about all the time, you know, like how do we transform education? How do we center the students? How do we acknowledge that, you know, grades are harmful to learning and harmful to students? Um, but then every single, like, claim he's making that's like, yeah, yeah, I love this. It's really good. He's like, but you're doing it wrong. You know, with that big but, right? Like that, but you're doing it wrong. Okay. But everyone's doing it wrong. And even in the title of the article is like, everybody's doing it wrong, you know? And so it's like, maybe you can say, maybe you can look back and say, oh, maybe he's not talking about everyone. But no, he literally does say everyone is doing it wrong. Um and so I think just to be telling educators who are engaged in these progressive pedagogies and trying to um, incorporate a lot of these new ideas that aren't even really modeled that often for us to see, um, 
it's kind of <laughs> hurtful, I think, to a lot of people who are trying to to come into this space, um, and then also to call it a bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is something that's kind of new, and this is something that a lot of us are seeking pushback from in our own institutions, mm-hmm. um, but in which a lot of us are still trying to bring it into like the ed- our educational practices. So I don't know that you can really call this a bandwagon. Um, but yeah, I think that was what was kind of most upsetting for me. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Taylor. And I think um, many of us echo those sentiments too. Um, Liz, I'm going to turn it to you a little bit. You um, spearheaded this response and maintained, I think, an active leadership throughout the writing and publication process for us. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective, how the response initially came about. Um, and if you can talk a little bit about your involvement. Sure. Thanks, um, Lisa. And thanks everyone for coming. So the original article, so in the chat, you'll see there's two links. There's a link to the article that we collaboratively authored. And then there was the original article about how everyone is doing ungrading wrong. However, there's a small number of people who are doing it right, as stated in the article. And that I think is another thing that really rubbed many of us the wrong way, that there's kind of this idea that there are certain people who all happen to be, um, you know, white presenting (laughs) scholars who maybe have a fair amount of privilege to be able to work, you know, in this sphere um, as named by somebody as the people doing it right and the rest of us are doing it wrong or bad wanganing. And all of the folks who are, you know, uh, listed have like made contributions and they're active in sharing their ideas, but it's sort of what the article, one of the things the article didn't do was acknowledge the, um, multifaceted community of ungraders and people who did, you know, have done liberatory pedagogy mm-hmm. long before ungrading was the term. Um, and so that's something that we wanted to address in the response. The um, I'm a member of the Discord. So I think David, I saw David Buck is, is here with us today. So thanks, uh, David, for starting the Discord. Um, I had been a member for a while. Uh, all the off, I think most of us or all of us were on that Discord as well. Someone posted a link to the article and immediately there was a lot of um, discussion, <laughs> lively discussion, a lot of raging, uh, <laughs> a lot of, you know, like, interesting ideas and thoughts and responses to the article that began filtering into one of the channels um, in response. At the same time on Twitter, a lot of folks were pointing out, you know, sort of some of the issues with the uh, reasoning of the original article, a lot of what for us and um, Taylor mentioned, um, as well as other uh, points. And so basically I um, suggested to the Discord, does anyone want to write a response to this? I'll start a Google Doc on Monday, <laughs> and I didn't know. And what, what like one good thing came out of this original article is that I got to meet all of these really awesome folks who are doing this work. I didn't you know, none of us. I didn't know any of the other co-authors beforehand. So I started this Google Doc, reached out to some folks on Discord and Twitter, just said basically, if you want to contribute to the doc, give me your email address and I'll add you. So it became sort of this community, uh, sort of writing and brainstorming. It grew to about 3,000 words with multiple arguments. The Times Higher Education. Um, oh, so actually, also in the meantime, one of the people who was listed, who was actually no longer listed as doing it right, but one of the people listed in the article, had tweeted about it being critical. Times Higher Education reached out to them to ask if they wanted to write a formal reply, and they decided to pass the mic to those of us working on this. And so we thank that person for um, allowing sort of a different set of voices to be highlighted. So a bunch of us were working in the doc. There were people writing. There were people commenting. 
eventually we realized it was too long to publish as a response. And each of those like arguments we had could have been its own article. Um, and so I think it might've been Rita then at that point was like, I think we should really focus on this argument about history and um, um, sort of um, the um, gatekeeping aspects um, and, you know, understanding our, like, yeah, sort of understanding our history as antithetical to, you know, saying that everyone's doing it wrong. So then I started a new Google Doc and we put that part of the document in and then um, the rest of us sort of worked it up, sent it back to Times Higher Education, went through a few rounds of revising, um, had to wordsmith some things. And finally, it is now out in the world as of a couple of days ago. Thanks, Liz. So it was, a, it was the fastest thing I've ever written, I guess, even though it took a while. Um, and I'm really thankful for my brilliant co-authors for um, helping yeah, I love that you say a few rounds of revision because I think few is definitely an understatement here. Um, I can remember that first day where we were all engaged on the document and it felt like it was just going so quickly, just words constantly on the page and line edits, um, suggested comments. I mean, it was just a mess of wonderful, brilliant words. But yeah, there was a lot of work that was done from, um, from that day to publication. Considering um, so much of what was kept out, um, is there anything that you feel like would be worth mentioning um, that didn't make it into this article that's now published that you want to mention? I'll just be really brief. I think a couple of the other arguments that didn't make it in had to do with the issue of context, which Faraz mentioned earlier. So we had like paragraphs <laughs> about the ways in which our contexts were different and how this was important. And it sort of got boiled down to a line in the final op-ed, but we could write a whole lot more about that if we wanted. Um, and then there was another, I think, another whole argument that got boiled down to a line, which was the idea of growth and how if we're going to practice this pedagogy, we need to be, um, we sort of have to meet the community where we are and like meet ourselves where we are and then figure out like we can't sort of go from where we are to then doing some sort of idealized ungrading practice. We have to sort of um, understand our context and then be patient and compassionate with ourselves as we learn uh, what works for our context. So again, many paragraphs that mm -hmm. got really just distilled into a couple of lines to really um, make space for our main argument. Yeah. And, and and even though that was distilled to a few lines, I do think that was still captured. It was still captured um, in in the um, the piece that's been published now. Um, so I do feel like that was still hit on, um, even if not not as detailed or as comprehensive as it was in that first um, iteration. So one of the revisions or suggested edits um, that we got from Times Higher Education when we first sent it over. Um, was that we should replace the word harm in the beginning, kind of our opening paragraph with consternation and confusion. Um, and Taylor, I'm going to have you take this one. What, what about the word harm um, seemed more accurate to you? Um, I think the thing that was about this article, that, well, not ours, but the one that was originally published, um, is that it's very demotivating, I think, um, especially as we're trying to encourage 
more people to come into this practice is like, I think even, um, so like something that I usually suggest to people is like, Oh, you know, just like don't grade one assignment, you know, like just don't collect something one day, you know? And like, that's your beginning steps into ungrading, I think, you know, like, you know, you don't have to collect every assignment because some, some educators, you know, are collecting every single assignment and grading every single assignment. But like once we can start taking steps back and once we start taking steps along like our path into ungrading, you know, like you start developing your practice and you start getting more into it and discovering what works. Um, but when you say, oh, no, everything you're doing is wrong except for what I'm doing, you need to copy what I'm doing, then it's like, okay, well, why even take these steps to begin with? You know, why even start trying to venture into this world of ungrading or this umbrella of ungrading? Um, and I think, you know, there are so many different practices that all of us are doing. And, um, you know, uh, also, like was mentioned before, right, we're all in different contexts, you know, we're all just trying to figure out what works, what works for our students, what works based on what our institutional requirements are, you know, and I think, I think it is harmful just to say that um, we're doing it wrong, because then why even try? Um, and also, of course, for all of us who have been doing it for a little bit longer, you know, it's, it's very anger-inducing, you know, to say like, like, what, I'm doing it wrong? No, I, I mean, I've been, I've been uh, refining my practice for like, this many years or whatever, you know? And so, yeah, I think, I think harm was the more accurate word to use over consternation and confusion. Um, just because it, I think people who read this, if they read this original article, especially without the response, you know, it's, it's, it seems like everyone's doing it wrong, you know, why even step into this? And so I think it's going to be demotivating for those who only see this article. Yeah. That demotivation part, I think, was was so critical um, that we wanted to address, too, because the more um, teachers feel right that they are not doing something wrong, then, of course, there is that that sense of, um, well, then what's the point? And then we lose that motivation to continue to subvert some of these harmful practices. Um, and Liz cited here as well, um, which I think is important to recognize that educators weren't confused. Um, it, their their responses was not that they were confused and how they were feeling. And I think that was almost a detrimental response. And we wanted to make sure that that didn't go into, um, into our piece to suggest that people were confused about how they felt. Um, because I think people were pretty certain um, that they felt like it was harmful. Faraz, if you don't mind me just asking, um, now that we're kind of come to this, this space um, and thinking about how you know, the article, the, that first article did not resonate very well with most people in the engrading community. And now that this has come out, um, you've had some responses on social media. Um, how do you feel like as we're moving forward, this article might resonate differently um, with the people in the engrading, um, in the ungrading community? Absolutely. And and I think uh, I've just been blown away by all the retweets and likes and messages that I received. Um, all of it centers around the way we started this event, which is the umbrella, the big tent approach. Many people have said, this is what the ungrading community is to me. And this is why I feel welcome here. And, you know, we're, we're sort of welcoming people back in. Uh, so, so I think that that illusion or uh, illusion with an A of, of having an umbrella and everybody being under it um, and welcoming people. I think that's what resonated most with the ungrading community because that's how many of us started, right? Many of us received 
um, work or syllabi or documents of how to do this in class free, completely without any cost, without any strings attached with Creative Commons licenses. Like, here, go ahead, use this material, make this change. And that's how I was introduced to the community. And this sort of brings it back of this umbrella approach of it's a philosophy and not just a, a, a series of practices that are decontextualized. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we are so grateful um, for uh, Dr. Bloom's uh, analogy there of the umbrella because it just fits so well, I think, with the response. So um, thanks for that. So, um, Rita, I want to invite you in. We haven't been able to hear from you, but Rita has been a brilliant and outspoken voice in um, this whole process. So, so, so grateful for all of her contributions to um, moving into kind of talking about the community and, and where we're at now. Um, what's it like? What's it like after this experience, especially um, to sort of be in this community with other ungraders? I love this community. Just honestly, I love this community. I would not have started on. So I started on grading about two, three years ago as well when um, David organized the reading of the ungrading um, compilation. Um, and that's when I found all of you lovely, amazing, wonderful people. And it's because of that community that I felt safe to try something mm -hmm. because I learned that there were these other people who were sort of like me who didn't quite know what they were doing but knew they wanted to knew that they also hated grades hated what it does all those things and and just were there to lift each other and support each other and encourage each other and bounce ideas off of and that is the reason why this response came about in the first place right mm -hmm. this response would not have happened if there wasn't a community already built in that could have shared. So this article wasn't on my radar until someone shared it in the discord. And then I read it and was really angry, <laughs> but it, it was helpful that there were other people who were sharing the same frustrations and angers. And, and then we all sort of were like, we need to do something. Mm -hmm. And we did. And it was through community that we wrote this piece together mm -hmm. and we got feedback from other members in the community who didn't necessarily want to be authors, but you know, we wanted to make sure they felt okay with it too. And since then, I feel like our community has only gotten stronger because we're all in this boat together. And we recognize that the way, what's what's that metaphor? Um, a rising tide lifts, lifts all boats, right? Boats. Mm -hmm. That as long, if we support each other, if we help rise the tide together, that's how we move forward. Not this sort of, okay, only like five of us can do this and the rest of you sit down. Which is basically what that original article felt like it was saying. Um, and so I, I love our community. I think our community is so important. I think the reason why we've been able to start to heal from, from the harm of that article is because we're in community with each other and can talk to each other and express our concerns. Um, you know, just a, a little side story. I got beyond frustrated with the response from Times Higher Ed. And I finally just sent an email to the group where I was like, listen, I need y'all to understand where this is all coming from because this, this is coming from stuff that y'all don't know about. Um, and so I realized I'm being like super, like talking about consternation. I was being super cantankerous in my responses. <laughs> it was like, I, it's not about y'all. Like I need y'all to understand the backstory. And every single person 
lifted me up in a way that was so not expected, but so desperately needed mm-hmm. that again, could not have happened if we didn't have this community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited to see where our community of ungraders go and how we support each other and what kind of changes we're able to push for either at our own institutions or collectively across our institutions. You know, we, we trade ideas, we trade different policies that we're trying to push. And I'm super excited to see where we go. And I truly, this is, this community has given me life in a field and in a position that is often very, very draining. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Rita. I can't agree more with that. I, I find it, actually it wasn't until I started practicing um, with going gradeless and, and ungrading practices that I felt reignited in this profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is, it is. I mean, you talk about how many of us really experiencing burnout and exhaustion um, and, and this, this just change, it's a game changer. Um, and, and I think anybody who really starts to embrace it and work with it finds that too. Um, so Taylor, do you mind, you know, you're new um, into the profession um, and, and you mentioned that earlier as well. What is it like for you to kind of join this community as well um, in your first year teaching? It's been really great, really amazing, really. Um, I've definitely learned a lot just from everyone. Um, I think like even uh, David Buck hosts these ungrading office hours, you know, where like everyone can go and just talk about their own practices. And I've been lucky enough to be able to attend two of those, you know, and just hear from everyone talk about, you know, their own struggles that they're facing in their classrooms as well and like steps they're trying to take to address those. And like, I've definitely been changing my practices like as a, as a result of those uh, meetings. And then even just being in like this ungrading discord, you know, where like everyone is sharing their ideas, sharing their questions and like sharing their answers. And like, I don't know, I'm just learning all the time. And I think I even came to ungrading because of the ungrading community on Twitter. I'm no longer on Twitter, but um, because of this community that was that's on Twitter, um, I was able to, uh, I think I started following like human restoration project first or something like that. Um, and just seeing these, these comments about grades and how harmful they are. And like, I'm also witnessing that in my own student teaching, my own placement where I'm having these problems with grades and these concerns about grades and what they're doing to students and their motivation. Um, and just putting words to it and saying like, Hey, this is what the problem is. I'm like, Oh, you're right. That is what the problem is. Um, so I think it's very powerful just to have this community where we can all share, we can all learn and we can all, you know, even just have a place to ask questions, you know, where we're not going to be, um, automatically assumed for doing it wrong because, you know, we can come here into this space and say, Hey, I have this problem. How do I address it? And, you know, people are going to give us honest, thoughtful and, um, encouraging responses. Great. Thanks. Um, so we're coming close to the end here of the interview, but we've got two more questions. Um, I'm going to come back to the the article a little bit, um, uh, the response article, and then um, start thinking about where where to go from here. Um, so uh, Rita and Faraz, um, now that the article has been published um, and we were able to do that on Friday, yay. So hopefully I think that link's been put in the chat so people can check that out if you have not yet. Um but now that, that we've seen responses um, come in on social media that have been fairly positive, um, actually pretty extremely positive, um, what 
do you think um, we might need to do further um, to kind of repair some of this harm that might have been caused by that first article? Go ahead, Rita. I'll defer this one to you. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I, I have so many random thoughts. I don't, I'm, I'll try to put the ball into something coherent. I, I mean, I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that the article itself was an act of violence. Hmm. It wasn't just harmful in the sense of the message. It was harmful in the fact that by saying, here are the people I'm highlighting, and these are the only people who seem to be doing it right, it actively told those of us who don't fit a certain mold, those of us who are historically marginalized, oppressed, forgotten, ignored, trampled on, not only that we shouldn't be bothered, but that we aren't welcome. And so in this attempt to highlight this liberatory practice, what this article did was actively do non-liberatory work. It actively perpetuated violence against groups who have been dealing with this shit, excuse my language, for centuries. Yeah. Right? In a lot of ways, it kind of read like colonial language, Mm. right? And so it's not just acknowledging that what was said was problematic. We have to acknowledge that the harm was much, much deeper than that. And that's why I'm glad as a team we push back on the confusion and consternation because there was no consternation. There was active pain. Mm. There was active pain. Um. And I think it's very telling that there are certain people who have not responded to our response, Mm. who praise the original article, and who are not engaging in this conversation. And I would like to think that those individuals would want to be a part of this conversation. And if they do, then that is one way we can also move forward and address the harm is to do some sort of community reparative conversation around this with those individuals and and in a way that, yes, we can acknowledge our anger, but also then pulls them in and not shoves them out, right? right? Um, but those individuals need to come forward and recognize what our response is telling them. Mm. And that by supporting the articles in the certain ways that they did, I mean, I'll say it bluntly, I've lost respect for certain people that I had huge respect for in the community. Mm. Um. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing is if we are going to address the harm and move forward, we have to actually recognize that this wasn't just about being unhappy with what was said. It was about the, the literal pain and violence that was inflicted on us. And then I think the other thing I can recognize is this is about systems and structures. Yes, we had to deal with our own individual classroom issues and right. So there is that side of it. But at the end of the day, it's systems and structures, and it's all interconnected system and structures. We're dealing with ableism is connected with ungrading. Our dealing with racism, classism, homophobia, transphobia, all of it at, in higher ed, in K-12, all of that is linked to these other structures around grading. And so to put the blame on individuals, as, as Fraz and others have said, it, it's, just, it's just absurd. It's absurd. 
And so if we're going to move forward, if we're going to repair this harm, we have to talk about how do we meaningfully tackle these systems and structures. I mean, I know all of our institutions talk about DEI work, but we also know that they all do it very superficially. Mm-hmm. And so how do we actively work on addressing these systems and structures? Um, and then lastly, I would say just also recognizing that we're all doing our best, but we're all also just one drop in the pu- in the puddle. Mm-hmm. Um, or one raindrop if we want to go back to the the umbrella analogy, right? I had never heard of the dude that wrote that original article. I honestly can't even remember his name. I keep calling him the dude because that's like, that's all I can remember, <laughs> to be completely honest. We're, and, and so who is this one person to be the arbiter, right? Who am I to be the arbiter of how you do this in your own classes or how your university decides to do this in a way that's best for your students? We're all one drop and if we can work together, I think we come up with a really cool pool of things. But if we all just think that our one drop is the best, then we're then we're nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was lovely. And there was someone in the chat that said, "This is fire." <laughs> oh, thank you. I just saw that. <laughs> I feel that. I, I think I think that's right. And um, once Rita starts talking, it's like, all right, it's time to listen. Um, although I feel that way about every single panel member here, you are all brilliant people. Um, but that was that was fire, and I think a, a great way of ending. Um, and this is just kind of open to any of the panel members um, to to kind of end on um, this note. Where do you all feel the ungrading community might go from here? Um, if anybody wants to sort of dive into that, that question. I think just very quickly, it's, it's probably not appropriate to pull the original article because it's already done, damage is mm-hmm. there, it's done. Um, I would just love it if the Times Higher Education would put a little banner at the top that says, here's the response to this from a community of ungraders. Mm-hmm. I feel like if anybody finds that in the future, it will prevent more harm from being done. That that's one like concrete small step that we can take as a community. But I'm sure there's more longer range things that others have comments about. One of the questions, and someone else can take this, is uh, is a, is this the first article of this nature to come against the ungrading community? Mm-hmm. And uh, the person was just trying to understand uh, why we're so focused on this particular uh, article and this particular piece. So that, that was one question that I thought we should answer. Who wants to take Thank that? Thank you. That was my question. <laughs> Thanks, Rhonda. Yeah, I was just wondering. I'm sorry, I'm jumping in. But I was just wondering because um, I think I saw this somewhere on Twitter. And I was like, what? You know, as a first response. And then now coming here and and actually reading the article. I was reading the article while we were, were talking. Um, it's such a visceral attack against the ungrading community <clears throat> and I'm wondering you know like why are we focused on this one individual so much and then Farsi I'm, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> I haven't got your name wrong um he responded in the chat already and said that um it's because it felt like an attack from within from our community so that was why it was so why we're focusing on this guy so much because I know there have been some you know, people to come against ungrading, but in subtle kind of ways and just the way that everybody practices because everybody does do this differently. And that is so okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think yeah. for me, part of it was other, other articles about 
critiques of ungrading, I feel like are attempting to engage in the conversation at least. So like, is this a good way to do pedagogy, to do assessment? What is the value? Like, are there actual values of grades that we're ignoring and just maybe not implementing well, right? I feel like all of those are trying in, in good spirit to engage in the conversation of how do we do best by our students? And this one felt like it was a direct attack on us for doing that, mm-hmm. right? It, was, it wasn't an attack on, on grading. It wasn't even an attack on grades. It was an attack on all of you sit down, let me get paid to do this and then hire me. That, right, that's how it read <laughs> in a lot of ways too. Um, but I think that's why the reaction was so visual is it, it, it wasn't just from within. It was also just personal attacks on all of us who were trying to do this and, and do our best for our students in ways that the other pieces are just talking about the, the how do you, the how of, right? Not, not, the, not the individuals. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think also, like from my perspective, it was um, a lot of us who saw this initially were like, oh, that's that's weird. Um, and for me, I was like, that's a weird article. Like, it's just one article or whatever. Um, but then I go on Twitter, I see so many people tweeting it. I'm like, oh, wait a second. And so we also have all these like people who are spreading this article as well and like saying like, look at this, you know. Um, and, you know, some of those people responded to those criticisms, like, oh, you know, let's step back. Actually, you're right. This isn't the best article to share. Um, and then also turning around and sharing our article as well that we that we wrote together. Um, but I think the fact that it was being shared so much was all, kind of also necessitated a response as well. There is a question in the chat. I don't know if we want to um, answer it. Um, I could start answering it, I guess. Um, this is from Matt Sowell. Is it worth mentioning that the ethos of the VP of academics at Course Hero, mm-hmm. pontificating on correctly implementing a reductive definition of ungrading is analogous to tech bros pontificating on free speech? So I think that, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there were, this was sort of a nuance to this that we actually decided not to touch in our response because we didn't want to be to like we didn't want to be perceived as like ad hominem on the author so just for reference like if y'all know course hero this is a site where like you know students can get help with their homework you can and they post you know materials from class or their exams or whatever and there's you know academic dishonesty to this piece and there's monetization of that as part of that piece um and so yeah that that irony was that like the VP of that company was talking to all of us about how we're all doing a grading wrong was not lost. And there were lots of tweets and comments about that. Um, we didn't touch it in this article in particular, but I think it is a larger systemic issue of like, and I think even in the original article, he said like, Oh, our research at course here shows. And it's like, you know, there's not many details there. So, you know, be transparent about your details or, don't share very vague um, comments about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it rubbed a lot of us the wrong way, but we didn't, we made a conscious choice to not point that out explicitly in our response. Karen, it looks like um, you raised a hand. You're welcome to unmute if you'd like. Yeah, I was just wondering if anyone else sort of sensed given the source, I sort of started typing this and was like, it might just be easier to say out loud, sort of uh, commercialists don't touch our bottom line is, you know, a lot of course hero products are geared towards 
um, providing support to students through some very traditional means of assessment. And of course, when you move into various aspects of ungrading, um, you're moving away from anything standardized, you know, even, um, you know, like reflections, there, there might be advice on how to write reflections that get to the heart of your feeling about something or that direct students to, you know, think about a piece of writing or film they've seen or a class discussion from the angle that you're hoping to develop you know, the the critical thinking skills or the um, dialogue skills, whatever the case might be. But, you know, grading is so much unstandardized. And so that was one of the, the senses I got when I read the first piece was sort of, I'm an educational developer. I've also been, you know, teaching in higher education for 23 years. And it felt like, you know, it was also a is everybody just teaching wrong? You know, is there one way to teach? And, you know, as an educational developer, I'm forever saying like, maybe you could consider, um, you know, ungrading just your pre-lecture quizzes. You know, maybe just start everything else if you want to have your 50% final exam. You just can't let go of that right now. Because I really think that sometimes you have to dip your toe into something that it's hard to go whole hog, especially in some programs and, you know, lots of contract faculty don't have levels of privilege. And so I read it at that level, but then there was also a, this is really part of the commercialization of education that's coming out in this piece. And I just don't know if other people sort of had that reaction when they were reading it. I think so, Karen. Um, And um, I also, um, you know, as you were saying, is there really one way to teach? Um, can we define one right way of teaching? Um, and I think that comes back to thinking about our learners. You know, there's no one right way of learning something. Um, and we understand that, too, as as our own learners, that um, learning is messy and complex, and, and so is teaching. Leininger, Faraz Musvi, Rita Shaw, and Taylor Vavanko have been our guests in this conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of TG2 Chat Live. You can find more great content on our website, teachersgoinggradeless.com, on Twitter at TG2 Chat, or on Facebook at Teachers Going Gradeless. If you enjoy this content, please consider supporting our efforts by becoming a TG2 member. Go to patreon.com forward slash gradeless and choose your level of support. At this time, we would like to thank our newest member, Fabiola Torres, for the gracious support. Thanks for joining us. We hope to see you at our next community gathering and for the next installment of TG2 Chat Live. <laughs>